We're in Genesis chapter 21. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Genesis chapter 21 today. We're going to look at verses 1 to 7. And of course, if you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to download our app. The Bible says, let's read this together. The Bible says in verse 1, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. What an awesome phrase that is. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son, yeah, check that out. Wow, say wow. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, this is just so good, God has made me laugh and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his You just got to love it, right? I have borne him a son in his old age. And God, we thank you that you, there's so many reasons you're worthy. So many reasons for us today to declare that to you. And one of those for sure is your faithfulness. God, you always do as you say you will do. And maybe more than ever, God, we need to anchor ourselves to that reality, to that truth. For God, sometimes we find ourselves just swept to and fro with uh, the wind and the wave of emotion and news and circumstance. And we just do ask today that you would help us to, to anchor ourselves to your faithfulness in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat today. You know, we've all experienced the pain of broken promises or the, or the discouragement of broken promises. It's not always like extreme pain. Sometimes it's just really discouraging because, you know, you've had those experiences where people have promised things to you and they've not come through. You know, when we years ago started our building campaign, I had so many people come to me and say, Pastor, what do you need? I'll write you a check. How many millions? I'm like, well, 20 would be nice, but 11 will do. And, uh, and you know, obviously that never happened. Sometimes people, sometimes people don't come through on what they promise. Sometimes people misrepresent when they make a promise. Sometimes people are dishonest to us, but that's never the case with God. God always does what he says he will do. And one thing I, I believe uh, as, you know, a Christian is the older you get in the Lord, the more you learn this. The more you learn this. Like, you know, theoretically, when you get saved, you're, you're taught, you're instructed, and, and in some sense, you know, it's a theory that God is faithful. But as you walk with the Lord over the course of years, you discover that time and time again, God always does what he says he will do. In fact, I think that uh, Paul meant this when he was saying these words in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. He said, and you're really familiar with these words, he said, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned, right, I have learned in whatever state I am 
to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I think that when Paul says those words, he is acknowledging the capacity to be content regardless of circumstance because he knows, number one, that God is sufficient, that God is sufficient. Hey, I can be content because at the end of the day, Christ is more than enough for me. Can you say that today, right? I, and I think that that was true for the Apostle Paul, but I think also what he's saying is I've learned to be content because God's always faithful. God is always faithful. Not, not only is he sufficient, but he is faithful. You know, we, I've walked, you know, I don't want to put words in Paul's mouth, but I do think he's saying, I've walked through so many circumstances in life that I've, I've learned that my joy is not based on my circumstances, it's based on the faithfulness of God. And I have to tell you, when I was preparing for this particular message, those words, you know, in verse one, just, they rung in my heart, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. You know, they just, they resonated with me. Um, I, they reverberated in my heart. You know, I, I'm not saying to you today that this is some absolutely significant, profound truth that you've never heard before. Man, I think it's worthy of our meditation just to ponder that God did for her what he had spoken. Man, God did for her what he had spoken. Really, what more needs to be said than just to be reminded that what God did in Sarah's life as he had spoken to her a year previously and you remember the incredulity in her heart like she couldn't fathom that what God was saying was actually going to come to pass. But he did it. He was faithful to do it. And just as he had spoken to Sarah and ultimately had been faithful, it is the same thing in your life and in my life. And this is not an arbitrary statement. And I'm not saying to, today to you that the faithfulness of, of God is, is built around your performance. I'm saying that we can know more than anybody else because of the cross of Christ. We put our trust and faith in Jesus. We've been adopted into his family. And the promises of God are yes and amen for all who are in him. One thing that you can count on is that God will always do what he says he will do. Do you believe that today? Can you give an affirmation, uh, uh, maybe an amen to that today? Look, now, uh, I'm not saying that this isn't without difficulty because, number one, what we discover in these words this morning is uh, we know that that's true. We know that it's true. For some of us, we're just learning that. In some sense, it might be just a little theoretical. For others of us, we've walked with God for some time and, and we know he's come through time and time again. Um, it's not always easy because, number one, God does it in his time. Number one, God does it in his time. When God wanted it, right? I mean, 25 years of waiting and not altogether faithful waiting. The promise came to pass when God wanted it to come to pass. In fact, like the, the way this whole first verse is phrased, um, he visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. And then it goes on to say, for Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time. Like at the set time. 
And so listen, we know God is faithful to do what he says he's going to do, but you know he's going to do it when he's ready to do it. I mentioned this to you last week, and it's not altogether a convenient truth, but it is true. From the very beginning of this promise, God had never disclosed to Abraham and Sarah when he was going to fulfill. He never said that. Like, you'll, if you reread the story, what you recognize is um, obviously missing is the when of this, right? I mean, he gets a promise, Abraham does. He gets a promise when he's in Ur, he's, he's called out, he and his family are called out, he and his wife, and, and there's this amazing promise that their descendants will be more than can be numbered, that there's a son of promise that's coming, but God never said, says when that's going to happen until he was ready to say when, right? It wasn't until 24 years into this that God actually indicates what his timing was. And it was 24 years into it, as you look at Genesis chapter 18, that God rolls into Abraham and Sarah's camp and says, this time next year, your wife will be with child. You know, maybe the hardest thing, maybe one of the hardest things about following God is learning to be patient, learning to wait for the fulfillment of his promise learning that God operates on his own time frame. Do you understand what I'm talking about today? God has, God has his own timeline. Don't you wish sometimes that it was your timeline? Until you discover that your timeline really would have probably made a mess out of everything, hindsight's 2020. But, you know, trying to reconcile the timing of God and our timing is very difficult. One philosopher said this, if God is omnitemporal, that means he is in and transcends all time, then his metaphysical time does map in some way onto our physical time, but it is totally different. <laughs> Let me say it in Peter's words. Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. Much simpler, all right? Much simpler. Peter's, let me make it even more simpler. Peter's like, yo, people. Yo, people. God has his way and time of working things out, and it doesn't line up with ours. Because while God is in time, right, we, sometimes when we talk about the transcendence of God, it gives this impression that God is outside and that he doesn't influence to the inside, and that's just not true. And I appreciate, appreciate what this philosopher said. He is omnitemporal, which means that his time frame transcends all other time frames, but he is still in ours. And in some ways, it does map. But you know, we will never be able to, with our own minds, connect those dots. And so Peter says to a church that was anticipating the coming of the Lord and dealing with a group of people that were consistently accusing God of not fulfilling his promises, Peter says, hey, listen, he is going to come. And he is not, not slack concerning his promises. But there's one thing that you need to remember. You know, I think it's interesting. He, he boils, he, I mean, it's big enough for him to boil it down to this because, because in the application, in the reality of our lives, this is where it can be difficult. He says, don't forget, like, time is different with God. Time is different with God. And it is sometimes the easiest thing for us to forget, right? God is on his own time frame. And that means that God is never operating from a position of impatience. 
God is never operating from a position of impatience. Let me just say it a different way because I think, I mean, this was heavy application for me, y'all, because I'm not a super patient person, right? And my time frame is yesterday on like a- absolutely everything. So, so when I was studying this, God said it like this to me. He said, I'm never in a hurry. I'm never in a hurry. You know, God is never in a hurry. Do you know that today? God's never in a rush. I'm not saying that there aren't things that we shouldn't have an urgency for, but God, right, God is never in this place where he's like, man, I gotta get this done and I gotta get this done now. Like I've got this time frame that, 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 I'm, that I'm trying to achieve and so, so that in, in a sense there's this impatience with God or God is in a rush. You know, it, it is just, um, it's, it is, what is the word I'm, I'm looking for? It is a mirage to us, this whole concept of being in a hurry and what we can accomplish if we could just do things faster. Uh, let me give you an example. You're driving to church on Sunday and you're late, right? You're late. And so, you know, you're trying to get through as many lights as you can and you're so concerned about, you know, getting to church on time that, you know, you're, you're going through a yellow light that is more on its way to red than it was on its closeness to green. Do you know what I'm talking about? And everything in you is saying you need to stop. You need to stop. But what do you do? You don't stop because you're, you're in a rush and you're late. And so, you know, you, you pass these cars. They're stuck at the light. There's this sense of, like, victory in your heart that they're stuck and you're not because you're that messed up, right? Walking in the spirit on the way to church like you do. Um, and so... And so, you know, you think, you, you, and, and then, you're, then you plot your trajectory. You're like, well, if I've made this light, then I'll make the next one. And, you know, because there's some sequence, right? Shouldn't there be some sequence, people? I mean, I don't know who programs lights in our city, but they're messed up. Like, you can't expect anything to operate the right way. And so, you know, you go through all of these lights, and then, and then you get to, like, the last one, and you get stuck, Right? And you're sitting there, and it's like, you know, I can't believe I'm stuck at this light. And then all those cars. <laughs> is anybody with me on this? Like, do you know how frustrating this is? All those cars that you were looking at in your rearview mirror, and like, you guys, you guys suck, and I'm awesome, and, and you're stuck, and I'm not stuck. All of a sudden, they're in the same place you are. They're in the same place you are. That whole concept of of, you know, getting ahead and being in a rush was really just a mirage. Or let me just, um, let me give you another example. Not that you need it today, but I'm going to share it anyway. I have global entry, and so when I'm traveling internationally and I come back and I hit uh, the States, I can get through passport control uh, faster than everybody else. I don't have to wait in line because, um, you know, I've got this global entry thing. And for a while, it was like, man, this is so awesome. I would look at the lines of people waiting to, you know, talk to a U.S. immigrations officer, and uh, I would just breeze right through. But listen, I would breeze right through, and then I'd be standing at, you know, baggage claim, (laughs) right? I'm standing at baggage claim waiting for my bags to get on the carousel, and while I'm waiting, everyone else who was waiting in line is now standing next to me because some dope doesn't know how to take the luggage off of the airplane and get it to the carousel in a timely manner. And so, I don't know why I shared that with you. I might not share it in the next service. 
God has, God, God does things in, God knows exactly when he's going to do it. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says this, For God says, in an acceptable time I've heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. In an acceptable time. In other words, when, when he believed the time to be right, when the time was right from his perspective, what have you been praying for? What have you been waiting for? Just because God has not fulfilled that prayer request does not mean that he's not going to, but I'll tell you this, his timing is perfect. Galatians 4.4 4 says this, speaking of the coming of Christ, but when the fullness of the time had come, in other words, when everything was just the way that God desired it to be, on a macro level with nations and with languages and with a, with a, a system of roads that could carry the gospel to the ends of the earth, God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law. Number one, God for sure will always do what he says he will do, but he'll do it on his time. You are on his time, not your time. The second thing today is this, God's faithfulness generates joy. I, I really appreciate, I know we, we kind of laugh about it, but I appreciate what happens here um, the Bible says in verse 3, And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Do you guys know what Isaac means? Isaac means laughter. The name means laughter. And so the second thing we see is this. When God does fulfill his promise to us, it, it should generate joy. It should generate joy. I'm not saying today that we shouldn't have joy before the promise is fulfilled. Um, so that's for another topic or time. But I am saying to you today, when God answers prayer, when God fulfills his word, like those moments, those moments are joy-generating moments. And, you know, for Sarah and Abraham, this, this concept of laughter really had a double meaning. Because, you know, there are two times that she laughs. She laughed a year earlier. She was incredulous there was an incredulity, you know, the promise came, God said, and she looked at her husband and said, no way, right? There was laughter. She laughed from her tent. God called her out. Why did you laugh? She said, I wasn't laughing as if God doesn't know everything. I mean, the story itself makes you laugh. But the first time she laughed, it was, a, she was, it was incredulity. She was incredulous. The second time she laughed, she was speechless, she was speechless. She was amazed. She was astounded. And, and so, you know, as she's reframing this concept of laughter, she does it in a sense of, man, look what God did. This is not incredulity. This is not doubting what God could do. I'm standing in awe of the faithfulness of God because you know what he's done? He's turned my morning into dancing. He's turned my morning into dancing. You know God will do this in your life? In the, in the journey that you're on, there are going to be some valleys. There's going to be some valleys. There's going to be some sorrow. There's going to be some grief. There's, there, there are going to be times of agony and pain. Uh, there are going to be times where the cloud is going to settle so thickly upon your mind that you're not going to be able to really see the light at the end of the tunnel. The only way you'll be able to see it is by faith because you won't be able to see it with your eyes. There are going to be those times of mourning, but you know, 
but you know, God will bring the times of rejoicing and joy. God, God will bring the time when the light will be so powerful that it will burn away the cloud of dark, darkness that has been hanging over your heart. The, the answer to prayer in your life will be so strengthening, so invigorating that it'll lift you up out of the pit that you've been dwelling in, the miry clay that has, that has held your feet of faith. God will pull you up out of that and he'll give you a season of rejoicing. The pain will dissipate in the light of answered prayer. Psalm 30, verse 11, you know this. Psalm, this section is so good. The psalmist says this, you've turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O oh Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Isn't that, isn't that good? Look, I, I, don't, I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know the mourning, the difficulty, the sorrow, but I will tell you this, that, that it will, this too shall pass. This too shall pass. You can praise him now, but I will say to you, you will praise him then. You can be thankful now because the answer will come, but you will be thankful then when it comes. Just like Hannah, you remember, was dealing with a similar issue that Sarah had, and she couldn't get pregnant. There was a, a, a great difficulty in her life, and there was persecution uh, because of her inability to have a child. And you know, God, God answered that prayer for her. God gave her Samuel. And her response to the answered prayer was this, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies. Penina. I smile. You got a penina in your life? Oh, God will make you smile in the face of your enemies. He's that faithful. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord. For there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Nor is there any other rock like our God. You know, you know what they do, this is so good, and you can't miss this because it's really important. You know what they do is they memorialize the moment. They memorialize the moment. I don't know if this was a conversation that they had, but it could have gone something like this. Hey, we're not going to miss the, the significance of what God just did. How can we memorialize this so that we are constantly reminded. Well, let's do this. Let's call the name of our son Isaac. Let's call him laughter. Let's, let's, let's give him a name that is gonna remind us of the faithfulness of God. You know, the, the moment of incredulity and doubt, but then the joy that came from answered prayer. Let's memorialize this with his name, so every time we speak his name, every time we say, hey, laughter, it's time for dinner, right? Hey, laughter, clean your room up, really? Do I have to tell you again? We are reminded that in the end, God is always right. God is always right. God is never wrong. God is always gonna fulfill exactly what he says he is going to do. In those times when you can't see it, and I think that the, the double meaning of his name was important, right? Because they're not, they're not not, it's a double negative. They're not not, it just feels better saying it like that. They're not not acknowledging the difficulty. They were acknowledging the difficulty. They didn't act as if it was just simple and easy. 
And so his name was a reminder that God, even through the pain and the adversity, was absolutely faithful to fulfill his promise. You know, this week, I don't know if you saw this article in the news. I think I saw it on Fox News. Um, But a new age guru, some of you guys know who this is, Deepak Chopra, he he had an, an article that uh, was entitled something like Urging a Pandemic of Joy, right? This is his counsel to America. He's urging a pandemic of joy. And in the article, he said this. He says, we cannot look to outside forces to be the sole source of our joy or even a major source. He said, we must even in the toughest times strive to discover joy within ourselves. Now, now let me just say, that is really bad advice, That is is bad advice because you don't look out to get your joy. You don't look in to get your joy. You look up to get your joy, right? Right? And and I'm not trying to to just be critical here, but this is the way the world thinks, right? I mean, you're not going to find it from the outside, the world says, so you've got to find it from the inside. And you're not going to find it from the inside because joy comes from God, Joy comes from the steadfast belief and experience of God's faithfulness. That's where joy comes from. Look, when all hell is breaking loose and everything is falling apart, what you do is you focus on the faithfulness of God and you say, God, you know what? Even though the circumstances around me, you know, as I look at them and consider them and evaluate them, God, I'm doing the math and it doesn't make sense. Like Israel They're stuck before the Red Sea, and all they see is Pharaoh coming from behind them. They're doing the math, and this is not a good situation, right? But in those moments, what we do is we take a step of faith, and we say, God, I may be behind a rock in a hard place, but you're going to part the sea. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know when you're going to do it, but I know, God, you are going to be faithful to do it. It is believing in, it is believing in and trusting in the faithfulness of God, And when we get our eyes on God, what happens is this, a source of joy begins to well up within us. This is what Sarah does. Sarah and Abraham, they build a stone of remembrance. And they build a stone of remembrance through the name of their son. Right, when Joshua was bringing the children of Israel into the land of Canaan, into the promised land, you remember that God was faithful to heap up the waters of the Jordan River and, and even though there was a trickle still coming through, the people crossed over, the priests first and then the people. And then you know what Joshua did. He said, this is what we're going to do. You're going to go into the riverbed, and you're going to select one person to represent each tribe, and you're going to pull a big stone out of the riverbed, and we're going to build a pile of stones. There'll be stones of remembrance. There, this is going to be a physical, tangible reminder of how faithful God was to heap up the rivers of the Jordan and to bring us over into the promised land. It is going to be a reminder that God is the one who did this. And then he goes on to say, so that when our kids say to us, Dad, Mom, what is that? What's that pile of rocks? What do those 12 stones mean? we'll be able to say, hey, listen, this is what God was faithful to do in 
our lives, right? What was this pile of stones? It was a joy generator. It was a trigger, right? It was intended to trigger people to joy, the people of God to joy. You have all sorts of triggers in your life going off right now, right? You finish your day and you're like, man, that guy triggered me and that circumstance triggered me and, and this event triggered me and they're all negative triggers. How about you create some positive triggers in your life? How about some stones of remembrance? How about some physical things that will actually remind you and point to God's faithfulness in your life? Because you know, you know that, that sometimes our memory is so short. God, there's this trail of faithfulness that, that God is working in our life, and we go through some difficulty, and it's almost like all of that. There's a delete button that's pushed, and we, it's almost like we can't remember anything that God has done. And that's why sometimes we just need to create a, a physical reminder to ourselves of the faithfulness of the Lord. For instance, you know, we have pavers. When we started this building uh, project, you know, we, we gave you the opportunity to um, get a paver, to write a scripture on the bottom of it, and we created a pathway from the preaching of the gospel, people receiving Christ, all the way out to the waters of baptism. And those pavers are a consistent reminder of the faithfulness of God, how he is the one who built this building in the midst of a pandemic, right? We walk, we walk out there and we stand on the pavers. It's like, oh, God, you did this. God, you did this. Like, we prayed. God, we prayed. You put scriptures on our hearts. There were prayers that you placed upon our hearts. And we lifted those prayers up to you. I'm standing right now on a Bible. It's buried Underneath this stage, it's a physical reminder. It is a physical reminder. Now, do I need it? Yes, I do need it. <laughs> I do. Hey, this ministry is always going to be about the teaching and preaching of God's word, period. That's just, that's just a fact. I mean, that's, it's in our DNA. But there are times where I'm standing here, it's like, God, I'm standing on your word, right? Literally and figuratively. We are a church that stands on your word. When I open up my computer, there's an image that pops up, and I'll show you what's, what's on uh, my computer. It should be up here on the screen in a second. There we go. That was the invitation at uh, our Awaken event in Mexico City, and it's, it's a reminder. It is a reminder. Like, a church of our size taking a step of faith like that is way out of bounds, way out of bounds. Like, God is amazingly faithful to us. It's a reminder to me that there's a group of pastors two weeks before this outreach that said, hey, no one's going to show up. No one's going to show up. We just got to tell you, we, we really, it, thanks for all the effort, and, uh, you know, but we really don't think it's, it's, it's going to be successful. It's a reminder to me. You know what, God? You've always been faithful to Calvary Chapel. You've always been faithful to me. Even when there are naysayers and negative people, your will will be done. I, I want to encourage you. Listen, I want to just give you some very practical encouragement to do this in your own life. Like when God comes through, take a moment and be creative about it and figure out a way where you can set something in your life as a consistent reminder of the faithfulness of God that will trigger you to joy. You know, it, it will trigger you to 
the journey that you walked, the emotions that you felt, and ultimately the faithfulness of God. And let me just say this, joy can't be stolen because God can't be unfaithful. Joy can't be stolen. Oh, pastor, you know what? The devil, he's just such a jerk. He stole my joy today. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. The devil can't steal your joy. You can give it away. You can give it away, but your joy doesn't come from yourself. It doesn't come from your circumstances. You know, the, the devil does not have authority over your joy because your joy is rooted in the faithfulness of God. It is, and, and it is impossible for God to be unfaithful to you. Nehemiah 8.10, do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength, right? Can we say it together? All right, here we go. Ready? One, two, three. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Okay, one more time. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Okay, now go to the next slide. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Okay, let's say the verse again. No, not that. Not that. Hey, the, the, the purpose of this was to see if you memorized the verse, all right? So, so forget that, and let's do Nehemiah 8.10 again. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Look, these guys just love you so much. They, okay, the third thing today is this. God works by miracle. God works by miracle. And this really is what she says in verse 6 and 7. God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. So there's mutual rejoicing, right? Every, everyone, uh, there's a testimony. There's a test. We're not going to talk about this today, but when God works in your life, it is not just a joy generator to you, but it is a testimony to others as well. Verse 7, she also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have born that old man a boy. That's, that's the original Hebrew. The third thing is this, God works by miracle. God works by miracle, and I know that I've mentioned this to you before. I have to say it again. I have to say it again because sometimes there's, it's a deep theological point here. Why, why was it 25 years of waiting? Why was it that they had like really exceeded physical capacity to have kids? You know, was it that God wasn't paying attention and there was so much other stuff that was going on that, that you know, it was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, I, I left the cake in the oven for too long. That's not what was going on with God. It had to be impossible. It had to be impossible. They had to know that God was the one who did it. They had to know that it was done by his hands. They had to. Don't, don't, you, don't you want that in your life? Yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. It's a double-edged sword. So listen, God will take it out of your hands so that you know it was done by his hands. God will take it out of your hands so that you know that it was done by his hands. I think this means two things. Number, number, two, <laughs> number two is this. When God is working in your life and he is accomplishing the miracles Never forget, number one, that they were done by, by his hands. He is the one that did it, but, but keep it in that place. Keep it in that place. Keep the miracle that God did in the hands of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes when God does something, we have the tendency to, to you know, we're in this spot where it's like, well, this isn't going to happen unless you do it, and then he does it, and then, you know, we, we, we take it ourselves, 
We take it ourselves. And that can, that can mean a bunch of different things. Sometimes we can take the glory for it. Sometimes we can take it out of the, the miracle realm and bring it into the realm of the flesh. I think about the churches in the book of Revelation. So many of them, of course, were started by miracle, but down the road pretty soon, it wasn't the miracle of God that was sustaining these churches. It was the mind of man or the program of man or the wisdom of man. God help us. Like in our, in our Christian culture, there are so many tools that we have at our disposal, but we never want to use those tools as a replacement for the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying today? It needs to stay in his hands, but, but, but it has to come to a place where we can't do it. It has to be impossible. Look, we all say today that we want the miracle, we all say that, but you know when you say that, you need to be prepared to be stripped of all of your resources, all of your tools, all of your strength, all of your capacity, all of your influence. You know, those things that we so often rely on. We say with our mouth that we want miracle, but the cost of that is God will strip everything away from you so that you come to a very uncomfortable place in your life where you know that the only way that it's going to get done is through the power of God. And you know, sometimes, like, just, let's just be honest today, sometimes that place is so uncomfortable, we don't go there. We don't go there, we won't go there, we won't take that step of faith because we're not comfortable with what that means. And I would just say to you that you need to do the math on that because it means that you'll miss the miracle. It means you'll miss the miracle. It's easy for us to say we want the miracle. It's a lot more difficult for us to lay down our lives completely and say, God, have your way. Do what you want to do. Do what you want to do the way you want to do it. God, if a miracle means that you have to strip all of the resources away, then I want that. I want that, God. I want to live in a place where I experience your power. We say, God, I want to see your glory. God, I want to see your glory. I want to live in an era where there's an, out, an undeniable outpouring of your glory, God, where you are manifested, where all of your perfections and your holiness are on display for all to see. I want to live in that spot, God. I don't want to live with some counterfeit that comes so short of your glory. I don't want to live in an era where there's the glory of man and not the glory of God. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Prayer number two, God, I want to see your glory. Well, if you pray that, prepare to suffer. Be prepared to suffer. Be prepared to be humbled. Because God won't be glorified unless we are humbled simultaneously. Like if we're fighting for the spotlight, if we're fighting for the respect, if we're fighting to be acknowledged and identified, guess what? People won't see the glory of God because our glory is shining so brightly. When we, it's a double-edged sword. When we pray for the glory of God, we need, to be, we need to be prepared that God may bring us into a time of suffering or a time of humbling. You say, God, I, I want answered prayer. God, I want answered prayer. I want, I want to really experience. I want to experience a season in my life of answered prayer. Well, you know, we talked last week about what that means. It means that we're praying according to the name of Jesus, which means we're praying according to the will of God. And that means that we're going to take upon our own heart the burdens that burden the heart of God. 
When we say, hey, God, I want to experience answered prayer, we, you know, we're not living in this shallow, and I said this last week, and I'm, I'm not going to beat a dead horse, okay? But we're not living in this shallow place where we're talking about the American dream of my life and prosperity and health and all these things that make me happy. No, we're talking about really dialing into the will of God to, to care about the things that God cares for, to be burdened for the things that God is burdened for. If we're going to really walk in a place where we see answered prayer, then those things that are heavy on the heart of the Father will be heavy on our heart as well. Like this is, this is discipleship. But I want to say all of that to say this. Be prepared for joy. Be prepared for joy because when you live in a place where you want miracle and you're willing to walk down the road of having it stripped away, resources stripped away so that the power of God can be on display, when you're in a place where you're praying for God's glory and you're willing to be humbled and you're willing to suffer and you're willing to be like John the Baptist who said, I must decrease so that he might increase, when you're in that pl place where you're, where you're saying, God, I'm serious about prayer, I'm serious about it, I'm serious about Ephesians 5.14, God, burden my heart Burden my heart with what burdens your heart. I'm saying to you, be prepared to be filled with joy. Because that journey is a journey that is filled with joy. And when the answer comes, you'll have even more reason to give him praise. God will always do what he says he will do. He'll do it in, in his timing. He'll do it in his timing. He'll do it in a way that brings him the most glory. Set up a stone of remembrance. Set things in your life that remind you of God's faithfulness that will trigger you to joy. And remember fundamentally that it's got to be by miracle. It's got to be by miracle because when God does the work, everyone will give him praise. Can we pray together today? And Father, we're thankful this morning for your faithfulness and Abraham and Sarah's life, we're thankful today for your faithfulness in our lives. And God, we can look back and we can see that, that there are so many times where you have done just as you had said to us. And our hearts today are filled with joy. God, we praise you today as the faithful one. I pray today, Father, that you would lift up those struggling hearts. God, those among us who might be discouraged, those who are walking through a season of mourning, we pray, God, that, that you, as they set their eyes and their hearts upon you, that you would fill them with joy inexpressible and full of glory before the answer to prayer comes. Today, as our eyes are closed and as our heads are bowed, as we're wrapping up this morning, you know, we want to make sure that you have an opportunity today to put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ because it may be today that you have come in and, and you're here at church and, and maybe this is one of the biggest steps you've ever taken in your life. You're, you're not a, you're a church-going person. You're not even a Christian, but you know you've been searching. You know in your heart that there's more to this life than what you've been experiencing. You know, you, you know this, 
to be true that that joy for you is not coming from the outside. And it certainly is not coming from the inside. And today, there's just a, a beautiful truth that we want to make sure you understand. It's not, it's not religion. It's not you fixing your life or attending a church. It is a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus, that will lead to your life being filled with joy. It will lead to your mourning and your sorrow being turned into dancing, it will lead you to a place of hope. It will lead you to the steadfast confidence and the faithfulness of God. How can I say all of that? Because all of that is tied to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ came to pay a penalty that you and I deserve to pay, but that we could not pay ourselves. He died on the cross in our place, taking the punishment that we deserved for our sins. He offered a perfect sacrifice, and he was raised from the dead on the third day. The Bible says when you believe in Christ and you believe in his gospel, that you're born again, you're made a child of God, you're Your relationship with God is settled through the sacrifice of the Son and you're given the gift of everlasting life. Maybe today this is the step you need to take. God has brought you to this point and now you need to respond. Today, if this is you, you say, Pastor, you know, today I I know, I know that I need God. I don't altogether know how I've come to this conclusion, but here I am and I want a relationship with him. Today, if this is you, I want to pray for you right where you're sitting. I'm just going to ask you this morning, would you raise your hand? You need to take a step of faith, and you need to trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of eternal life. Just stretch your hand up high today. Let me see who you are. Maybe today as a Christian, you just need to be renewed in your joy. You know, it's been a season of struggling and discouragement for you, and and uh, you just need a fresh work of God's Holy Spirit to bring that joy into your life. I want to pray for you today. Would you raise your hand? God bless you. Thank you. I see your hand. and see your hand as well in the back over here on my right. Thank you so much. Let me see your hands. All right. Father, thank you, God. We thank you for those here in this room and those listening online today that just need a refreshing of your Holy Spirit. God, that they would be able to say like David did that their cups are overflowing. God, their lives have been anointed with oil, even the presence of their enemies. Today, that they would know goodness and mercy will follow them all the days of their lives and they will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, fill them with joy. And God, today collectively, we just want to thank you We want to thank you that you've always come through. We want to thank you, God, that you've always done just as you have said you will do. God, while others may break promises and not come through, that is not true for you. And we stand firmly today on your faithfulness in Jesus' name. Amen.